You're listening to the Life Tree Church Sermon of the Week. We pray that as you hear this word, you would be encouraged and inspired as you pursue Jesus in your everyday life. Today I want to talk about the value of honor. Honor is not a term that gets thrown around. It's not trending strong with a hashtag these days. There's not a lot going on in society that has people leaning into honor, certainly not as a duty. And I want to take us through the scriptures this morning. If you were to jump for any place in scripture to learn about honor, I'd say that if I had one place to drop you, it'd be in the early chapters of the book of 1 Samuel, because there you find such contrasts of people living lives of honor and people just not getting it at all or living contrary to what they knew they should do. But I'm going to take you, starting from there in the early chapters of 1 Samuel, through other scriptures as well, I feel like it's been a treasure hunt for me the last few weeks preparing to teach, and I trust that at least a few of the nuggets I share with you today will be used by the Spirit to get into your life and really create and catalyze change in how you think, and I think it ties very well with what Christine mentioned, just disrupting beliefs or things we've been listening to in our lives that maybe for now we hold as truths, but they're just comfortable places we've chosen to land. They're not truths at all. Honor, as God lays it out in Scripture, calls us to reevaluate what we value. So that's really what we're going to do today. We're going to reevaluate what we value as we study the topic of honor. In Matthew chapter 20, we have the mother of James and John. They're the sons of Zebedee. And you know the request she brought to Jesus, right? It's that outlandish request that you only make when the other 10 disciples aren't in earshot. Jesus, when you become ruler of all and it's manifested that you're completely on the throne, could you please do one favor for me? Could you put my son James on one side of you in the kingdom and my son John on the other side of you in the kingdom so that they're like ruling on thrones beside you? The simple summary of that request is, Honor me. Honor my family. Honor my children. I would say that if you were to modernize the response of Jesus, it starts out with he laughed in their face. And he basically said, you don't have a clue what you're asking. But I will tell you this. The pathway to honor, if you want to find it, is not starting with the end goal in mind of I will be honored. It's going to start with you embracing the suffering that I'm about to enter into. And in fact, what I get out of his response to James and John's mom is never, they will be honored one day. It's like, I'm calling them into suffering. Whoa. So that's how upside down honor as we would wish, humanly speaking, and honor as God in his kingdom wishes for it to come about. It's very disruptive. It's not convenient. The path's easy to find, but it's not smooth. We're going to talk about honor today, language that we encounter around the topic of honor, the duty of honor. As you can guess and sense from where I'm going, it typically chafes against mainstream culture. It's about as comfy as putting a sheet of gritty sandpaper in your underwear and going for a 10K. That's about how smooth it runs. Okay? It's really uncomfortable. 
We're going to look at two Old Testament stories to start out with. Families where parents and the outcome in the lives of their children represent honor and not honoring God, as they were called. The first one, very well known, the story of Abraham, where through his choices and one particular series of events, he mapped out a roadway to honor for coming generations that would be an inheritance for all people. He's the father of our faith, we're told. In Genesis 22, we read a story where he's called, after having been blessed with a promised son, Isaac, he's called to go and sacrifice, actually kill his son. There's no possible way in the human mind this can be computed. The anticipation, the promises, the fulfillment of the promises, we have our son, and now God, the same one who blessed you with the son, says, kill you, kill him. The part that always gets me in the story is early the next morning, Abraham. And he gets up and he goes. And if you understand how the story goes, I won't tell it for you now. If you don't, go to Genesis 22 this week and read it. But he's literally, honestly, with knife in hand and his son bound on an altar, ready to sacrifice him. And God disrupts that terrible what it would have been series of events and says, it was never an intention to kill your son. It was an intention to test your heart. Would you honor me? And Abraham passed with flying colors. The Lord says in verse 15 of Genesis 22 and the following verses, I swear by myself that because you've done this and have not withheld your son, I'll bless you. I'll make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And obey me switches out pretty well for honor me. So the early chapters of Samuel give us kind of a counter story. The man there who's a leader, or he's been appointed as a leader in Israel as high priest, is named Eli. He's the person who baby Samuel is brought in to replace. And that's why the story of Samuel overlaps at the beginning of Samuel's years with the last years of Eli. And while Abraham's life is a story of the inheritance that comes through honor, Eli's life on the other end of the spectrum is a story of the disdain and the curse of dishonor. We find out that Eli's sons knowingly, with Eli knowing this, slept with multiple women and had sexual intercourse with them as they served as leaders at the entrance to the temple where people were come, coming to worship, the tent of meeting. Eli knew about it. They were, these were the people called to represent holiness between God himself and the people of God. And before Jesus came and tore the temple's curtain from top to bottom, the, the best way people could get to God was to go to the priest with their sacrifices. And these people who were to be models of holiness and purity were actually the leaders of immorality and impurity. Now, Eli tried calling out his sons, but he couldn't stop them and more or less wrung his hands and quit trying and also took advantage of the food they were stealing, that his sons were stealing. He was getting fat, literally it says, off of what was being stolen. So in 1 Samuel 2, it says, I'm reading from verse 30, this is a prophecy to Eli and his household. The Lord God of Israel declares, I promise that members of your family, this is Eli's family, 
would minister before me forever. You see, he's a, he's a great-grandson of Aaron the high priest. Like, this family line will continue, I had promised, God said. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me. God's about to break a promise. His reason, he says, those who honor me, I will honor. Those who despise me will be disdained. What's the opposite of honor there? Despise. See, dishonor sounds far more comfortable. But if we've chosen to not honor God, we've actually chosen to despise him. The time is coming when I will cut short your strength and the strength of your house. No one in it will reach old age. What a message to a parent. Can you imagine receiving that as a parent or a child? That no one in your family line will reach old age. The strength of your priestly house, no one will reach your old age. Verse 32, you'll see distress in my dwelling, and although good will be done to Israel, no one in your family line will ever reach old age, he says again. Every one of you that I do not cut off from serving at my altar, I will spare only to destroy your sight and sap your strength, and all your descendants will die in the prime of life. And verse 34, and what happens to your two sons, the ones who were behaving so poorly, their names were Hophni and Phinehas, will be assigned to you. They'll both die in the same day. This is how God says, you'll know for sure I was speaking what I meant. So you've got a household of inheritance and blessings in Abraham's line. You've got a household of curse, disdain, despise in Eli's line. They were both called to a high place. One understood it. One didn't. So let's be clear. The opposite of honor is despise. I'd like you to say that with me. The opposite of honor is despise. Because if we come across a teaching that says honor God, and we try to go, well, honor is an old-fashioned concept. I don't really need to do that. What you're really saying is, I'm giving myself license to despise God. And keep in mind that all the teaching of honor we're going to talk about today comes from basically the, the main fountain or life spring that honoring God and worshiping God and keeping him first is where all honor and basis for honor flows from. So if we get it wrong there... It's like you're headed to Nanaimo, but you just got on the ferry to Vancouver. This isn't going to work. You're on the wrong path. So in relationships, anytime we place honor for people before honor for God, we've despised God. It's so much more comfortable in our society to give honor to a person who would call us out, make us uncomfortable, make us afraid, rather than honor God. But God says, those who honor me... I will honor. That's a pretty amazing promise. Those who honor me, I will honor. So the truth here is, when I honor God, God honors me. Let's say that together. When I honor God, God honors me. Now, if you follow a little further in the story of Samuel as a young boy, in those days we find in 1 Samuel 3, the word of the Lord was rare. God wasn't talking much to the people of God. Do you have any guesses why? Why wasn't God talking much to the people of God? Right. <laughs> Their own leaders weren't listening to the voice of God. They already knew what to do and weren't doing it. Why would he add revelation to this? Because if you're going to go forward with new revelation, you'll have to nail down what the original revelation was you had. So if you're not honoring me, why would I tell you other things you should do? We're not going to put sprinkles until there's ice cream in there, right? 
So God's voice is silent, but it's not because he's not wanting to talk. It's because the people of God aren't listening. And you know how little Samuel is coached uniquely by Eli, the very guy who wouldn't listen to God, where he hears a voice when he's sleeping at night in the temple, doesn't know the origin of the voice, keeps running to Eli's bedside and going, yeah, yeah, you called me? And he's like, no, it wasn't me. And beautifully, Eli taught Samuel the prayer of honor. The very guy who was dishonoring God taught Samuel the prayer of honor. What is it? Speak, Lord, your servant's listening. If you tell me what to do, I'll do it. You're actually predisposing your heart posture to obey before you know what it is you're called to do. And on the time when God again comes to reveal himself to Samuel and he's been coached by Eli and he says, speak, Lord, your servant's listening, what God tells him as a little boy is all the calamity that's going to unfold on Eli's household. He gets the prophecy again that Eli already had, which he then did share. And I love the way that that chapter 3 of 1 Samuel moves into the life of Samuel as he grows, and it says, the word of the Lord became common. God started to reveal himself to the people of Israel, and I love the promise of how God honored Samuel. It says, he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. So because Samuel was holding God's words and God's instructions in holy regard, then God said, I will honor you because you're honoring me. When you speak, people will listen. Do you want a life that honors God? It means you want a life where what you say has clout. That clout isn't coming because you're awesome. It's because you're recognizing God's awesome, and you're giving them the honor he deserves, and he puts you forward and says, wow, you should listen to Tim. You should listen to Gary. You should listen to Christine. Why? Because they've lived that God is honorable. Therefore, I will honor them. So we don't try to lift ourselves up. We lift up God, and he puts us where he wants us to honor us. That's true favor. Honor is where we start with God. Favor is where he takes us. I'll say that again. Honor is where we start with God, but say that last part with me. Favor is where he takes us. So when we live in favor, it's because we've chosen to honor God and put him first. And we get placed in positions where our word might be completely contrary to what's trending, but it has weight in the room. It has value in the conversation because we know honoring God is behind those words. Isn't that the very essence of why the people came to Jesus and listened? He taught not like their rulers, but like one who had authority. There was a basis and a credibility for how Jesus spoke because it was backed by how he lived. If you say, I have all power, and then demons run from you when you speak, you become believable. What does it mean to honor? There's a few terms or concepts with honor that are consistent, and then there's additional, I'll call them manifestations, depending on the context. Respect, recognize, value, esteem. These are all used interchangeably almost along with honor when we talk about honoring God, honoring people, honoring people in authority. But then we have these additional manifestations. With God, it's worship and fear. When we're taught to pray, first words by Jesus to his followers, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the way we start our pray is the way we're supposed to start our day. And when we pray first, and we start our day first, and we line up honoring God first with our very sequenced actions, 
you're first. You get first place, literally. I don't go to work first. I don't parent first. I'm not a husband first. I'm not making money first. I'm not trying to get in shape first. I'm a follower of God first. So I honor him first. There's a reason why it's ordered that way. Because he's first. You honor me and I will honor you. It means put me first. One of my friends and I, on a monthly basis, take a theme and scriptures to memorize and study. And as you might guess, July was honor. And he messaged me and said, do you think fearing God and honoring God are similar? Yes. Because when you fear God, it's the beginning of wisdom, he says. You're truly putting him in his rightful place. That's with God. With husband or wife, it always looks like treat them with love and care. That's what honoring your husband or honoring your wife looks like. It treat them with love and care. With parents, it's obey. With the government, it's taxes, respect, and honor. Those words are used in Romans 13. In ancient Greek, it was all about personal honor. It was spear in one hand and ha ha, go get them. But when you think about a group of soldiers marching into battle, you're about to put your life on the line. Wouldn't it be comforting to know the people on each side of you were honorable people whom you could go to battle with who would stand, who would not run? You had declared the same value system. You had declared the same, I will give my life for the king. I will fight to the death for what I believe in. So honor going into battle was essential. So it was, you don't want to dishonor your nation, you don't want to dishonor your commander, and you don't want to dishonor your family name. Because you will show honor as you enter into this altercation. So you don't do that. You don't choose this. Because if you do, it will reduce your value, your honor for your family, for your community, for your nation. And similarly, a group of believers, a group of faith followers, of Jesus pursuers, a group of us together become an honorable community. First Peter 2, he says, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your collective good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So the original knee-jerk response of society might be Christians, followers of Jesus, life tree family, losers, wrong, off-trend, not clear, and then they look at you more closely, and they look at you cohesively as a community, and they go, they all agree on the same principles. They all value Jesus the same way. They won't bend into societal ways of doing things. And they go from accusing you of wrong to saying, this is, this is worth watching, because God honors those who honor him. There's also component to honor of those old-fashioned scales where you'd hold up a scale that could go one way or the other, and the item being purchased was put on one side, and the gold or the currency was put on the other side, and when they would balance out, it was honored. There was a weightiness and a heftiness to what was going on both of the balanced sides of the scale. And something that keeps showing up, and it already has in some of the verses I've read to you today, is that there was a strong correlation between honor and glory. Now, as a Greek warrior, you just hear it, right? There was glory if you died with honor or fought with honor. But honor and glory is all through Revelation and all of the worship passages. Psalm 8, speaking of people, 
You've made us a little lower than the angels and crowned us with glory and honor. It's very clear in the psalmist's mind. There's God, there's angels, and there's people. Animals aren't at the same elevation. They're below us. (gasps) There's a hierarchy. There's actually a structured pattern that God laid out. And when angels come from the presence of God and they're glowing with his glory, often we see in scripture people falling down on their knees wanting to worship the angel. And the angel's always like, on your feet. I'm coming from his radiance. Like, yes, I'm above you, but I'm not deserving of worship. Get your honor right. Right? When we confuse, invert, or subvert that honor hierarchy... Everything goes awry because we first must honor God. He can't be second. At the close of 1 Samuel 4, when all the prophecies to Eli's household are fulfilled, both of his sons die on the same day. He dies on that same day. The Ark of the Covenant is taken away by the people of the Philistines. They lose everything. And one of Eli's grandsons is born the same day. Because Eli's son's wife, his daughter-in-law, was pregnant. And on hearing of the death, not of her husband, on hearing on the death, not of her father-in-law, but hearing on the loss of the Ark of the Covenant in battle, she went into labor. And as she died, she named her son Ichabod. The glory of God is gone. That's the end of the train when there's been no honor. It's so clear when we know the scriptures, that's how it rolls. We know that we, when we choose to honor God, he honors us. When we choose to despise God, he loses glory, which he is jealous for, because he deserves it. And when we miss out on that, everything's broken. So I would suggest that what many of us need is a hierarchy honor system. We need a code of honor. That sounds pretty old too, doesn't it? A code of honor. Because you see, honor is commanded. It's not suggested. And God gets honor first. And then those in ordained positions get honor second. And then all people, because we are created in the image of God, warrant honor as well. And when we understand that, then we start to live out honorable lives in different areas that the scriptures are very clear to define. I've got seven of them listed there. This would be what you could work on over the next seven days of the week. To dig in and study because some of us, I promise, have an area that's weak or it's been overlooked often on purpose because it's going to be uncomfortable to line up this area of honor. First, marriage. It says marriage should be honored by all. You don't have to look hard or far in the Bible. It's cohesive in its message. A man and a woman committed for life are entering marriage, and marriage should be honored by all. And then he goes on to say in the same phrase, and the marriage bed should be kept pure. So sexual purity and sex only in the context of marriage is how marriage is being honored. So when the people of God traffic in the media of the world... And our entertainment is anything related to 
honoring sexual union between one man and one woman for life, we've missed the honor of marriage. That is so hard to say today because it's so not common. It's not the currency of the world. It's a different currency. And so if we start our day and say we honor God, and then you take the very area that he says shows how Jesus loves the church, marriage, and anything from Instagram to any social media to your evening TV show shows anything that defiles marriage as God defines it, you've just dishonored God because you've dishonored marriage. So now you've despised him. So don't ask for more revelation. That should be sufficient. But that might be an incredibly awkward spot for you. It is for me. It is for me every day because the messages around me consistently dishonor marriage and dishonor God. And if I go by numbers of voices or amount of volume, it's clear who wins. But God's voice is overall. So you might want to camp there a bit. And as soon as you get to honoring marriage, then it talks about honoring your husband or honoring your wife, which we've mentioned. But there's another and distinct role of honoring. Honor God with your wealth. Honor God with your body. Oh, my goodness. It's marriage, it's husband and wife, and your body. God just won't stop beating up on this topic. He must have been clear in the Old Testament and the New Testament that people kept getting sex wrong. They kept misunderstanding the context for it, the reason for it, how it embodies Jesus in the church, and what purity looks like. And why do you honor God with your body? Because he died. He started out by honoring us with his body. Jesus kept himself from all sin so that he could be a perfect payment for our sin. So that when he died, it had value and purpose and worth. He said, you are weighty. You hang heavy in my scale. You're worthy of my love. You're worthy of honor. Not because you inherently have value other than, like your behavior doesn't, you're made in the image of my father. Guys, that's why we honor other people, especially when they don't behave well. We honor other people because they're made in the image of a God who they may even deny. And so we love our husband or our wife, and we honor God with our body because this is the highest form of praise that says, I've got my honor hierarchy correct. We honor our church leaders. And crazily, this is the only point in scripture where honor is uniquely mentioned as an elder who serves well in the church isn't just worthy of honor, because here it actually goes into their behavior in this position. It says they're worthy of a double honor. So the elder in the church is worthy of honor because they're an elder. The position, just by virtue of being in that role, warrants them honor. But they might do it really well. And then you should double up. Honor your earthly rulers and authorities. Give them your obedience, your taxes, your respect, your honor. That's Romans 13. We'll talk a little bit later about how confused we get in this area. And honor your parents. The first of the commandments laid out in Exodus 20 and Numbers 5, or Deuteronomy 5 rather, where there's a promise. The first four commandments are all about getting your, your relationship 
with the heavenlies, with the divine. Correct, right? God's number one. There's not to be any idols. Talk rightly about God so your life words are emanating honor. Take a day to rest. Understand the rhythm of Sabbath. And once he's got us lined up with him and his order for creation, then he says, kids, this is going to be tough. Because the longer you're around someone, the more likely you'll be to dishonor them. And that's why the people who were most likely to corrupt the hierarchy of honor with are the very people in the very positions that God keeps telling us to make sure an honor. Kids are with their parents, it gets difficult. Husbands are with their wives, it gets rough. We watch presidents and prime ministers on television, we struggle. And so he gets out there and says, honor, honor, honor. Show respect, show value, show obedience, esteem them well. If our kids don't get honoring parents right, it's going to be really rough honoring God right. This is our first physical example of opportunity as children to honor those who have been put over us. There's a hierarchy. And if we can't worship, we won't be able to easily worship God if we can't understand those who are immediately over us on earth. But a well-parented child has the opportunity, I will say the opportunity, (laughs) to become a person who honors their parents and will thus be led much more easily into a life of worshiping God and honoring him. Right? So we model that for our children. We've been talking these last few weeks about what we've termed the irreducible gospel. Take something flavorful and beautiful and simmer it right down so there's nothing left but the bare essence, the irreducible minimum. And we've agreed the gospel is about worship, community, and being on mission. Do you know how beautifully the topic of honor flavors into this? Because <laughs> honoring God is worship. Esteeming one another above yourselves in the church family is life in community. And going out and living out the commission that Jesus has given us to serve our neighbor and to live uncorruptible lives, that's being on mission. And so it fits beautifully. I'm going to skip to the next slide if there's one in the middle there. I'm going to give you a reading of a quote from a website and see if you can guess where this website uh, lands if you were to put it in your browser. Of all the values, honor is the one that embodies all the others. Honor is a matter of carrying out, acting, and living the values of respect, duty, loyalty, selfless service, integrity, and personal courage in everything we do. According to us, if you have honor, you're a known quantity and can be trusted. Guess what organization or kind of website that's found on? Pardon? It's US Army. What's been most striking to me as I've thought and prayed about this these last few weeks is that the places where historically honor has been embedded in the DNA of the organization, leaders in key positions have been called out for having not done well in their roles. And when that poor performance in that role that warrants honor takes place, the masses cling together around a falsehood and say, now those leaders don't need to be honored. This will be perpetually a struggle for humanity. 
It's putting a diabetic with a weight problem as the front counter person in a bakery and saying, yeah, it's going to be tough. There's going to be compulsion all over the place to let this go sideways. You can't say I'm surrounded by sweets, so I've got a reason. In the same way that you might be surrounded by people not living up to their role, and you're still called to live a life of honor. This is a struggle. In fact, this is the number one thing when I've brought it up in conversation with 15 to 20 people one-on-one -on -one over the last two weeks, bouncing ideas off and testing scriptures on people, people in the church and people not in the church. It always came down to this when we talked about honor. There's people who don't deserve honor. Do you know why we honor people who don't deserve honor? Because God told us to. Because God's good. It doesn't matter if it's John Horgan, Prime Minister Trudeau, President Biden, or President Trump. We've become a culture who dishonors people in positions that deserve honor, regardless of their performance in those roles. It's very awkward. It's very confusing. It's very messy. Our society for hundreds of years has said church leaders deserve honor. And then people with the title of priest are very often publicly declared to have been completely wrong, sinful, even evil in their actions. And out of that comes a very natural, worldly response which reflects nothing of the kingdom. We're supposed to live such godly lives. And priests who are supposed to lead the way haven't. And it's painful and it's heartbreaking. And it often affects very clearly the name of God and how he's honored. So there's a lot of repentance that comes with honor. In fact, while glory rubs shoulders with honor, the other word that must rub the second most is repentance. Because it's very difficult to show honor. There's these two pitfalls or traps. So I've, I've mentioned the military. I've mentioned the nation, the church. I won't go further into that. But there's two pitfalls or traps. One, as society, we've typically rejected a hierarchy of honor. And secondly, we believe we can decide who deserves honor. Those aren't true, but they're common beliefs. When we reject the notion that there's hierarchy, we lose out all sense of order. And when we presume that honor must be earned or is deserved based on how a role is fulfilled, then we're always looking at people's behavior and judging them rather than obeying. One of the best, most telling examples of this is in Acts 22. Paul's on trial for having declared the gospel. He's on a Jewish courtroom setting for having declared the gospel. And while he's doing what he's doing, he's called before a Jewish tribunal, and a person who, unknown to him, is the high priest standing in the room, says to another standing beside Paul, smack him on the face. Because that high priest, Paul doesn't know he's the high priest, doesn't like what Paul's saying. And so the person standing next to Paul carries out the high priest's orders. And Paul lets loose on the guy, the high priest who gave the order, who he doesn't know is a high priest. He starts to curse him. And someone else in the room says, Paul, I thought you were raised in the Jewish tradition. Have you no honor? The man who commanded you to be struck is the high priest. And Paul immediately says, sorry, apologizes and repents. In his mind, his response to curse the person if he'd just been any, anyone would have been okay. But because he wasn't just anyone, he was a high priest, it wasn't okay, 
And Paul quotes Exodus 22 as being the binding statement of honor to honor those over him. And because he hadn't known who the high priest was, he said something he wasn't permitted to say toward a high priest, but it would have been okay towards someone else. Whoa. The high priest was completely out of line. He was also completely the high priest. And that, in Paul's economy, mattered most. I just wish that could have been tweeted 3,000 times about how we speak about Trudeau and Trump over the last five years. The church has failed miserably in this role because we haven't honored people in their roles. We immediately want to drag it into the deep end and go, well, they've done terribly in what they do. That's not the point of honor. It's that we're not honoring God, and he's always good, and he's called us to this. That's the homework for all of us. How are you going to live this out in situations where people don't seem deserving of honor? A child to a parent who doesn't live well. That's brutal. It's still commanded. Jesus noted in Matthew 15, these people honor me with their lips. Finish the verse but their hearts are far from me. I'd like you to just take and switch one word that's more modern for us. These people honor me with their lips, but their minds are, are far from me. If the things we say are the things we think about, but we're not thinking honorable thoughts, there will be this disconnect, this incongruity, and that's exactly what Jesus was saying. You guys talk a good talk, but your walk doesn't line up. It's miserable. Your hearts are really the core of who you are as a being, and you're so far in your hearts away from honoring me. You can sound good in the moment, but I know better. I would say our lips are in heaven, but our actions are on earth. But we're called to bring heaven to earth in our actions. Do our thoughts dwell on the honor of the irreducible gospel message of worship, community, and mission? To replace what's honorable with what's not honorable is the very theme of Romans 1. If you guys have time to read this week, Romans 1. Paul explains a society that's been turned over to wickedness and evil that suppresses the truth with poor behavior. And he goes again, as honor always seemed to, into sexuality and purity and how holiness should be lived out. And when people start exchanging roles and behaviors, they even, he says, start to worship creation rather than the creator. They're getting it all wrong. And when honor's not going first to God, nothing else that happens after it is honorable. We've created great words for sinful living. It's been a rough year to travel, right? But you guys might be able to think way back to when you had a passport with stamps that were relevant in them. And when you're getting ready to change countries for the sake of the gospel, I'll say kingdoms, and you're going to move out of the kingdom of Canada and even move a little distance to the kingdom of the United States, you've got to at some point go to an exchange counter for currency, and you've got to take what you have and decide, am I bringing enough? Whoa. Canada's rate is low on exchange. Now I'm going to cash it in, and I'm going to get the currency that works in the new kingdom. And unfortunately, that's often the metaphor we use in our minds as we go from living on earth 
to living as the people of Christ and the gospel. Like I've got value in current currency, worldly goods, and I'm going to exchange it like there's value in what I have now, and I'm going to turn it into kingdom currency. But actually, you're supposed to go to a garbage can, toss in all the currency of the world and Canada and burn it. Paul said in Philippians 3, it's all rubbish, it's trash. It doesn't have any comparing value to the currency of the kingdom. This is repentance. And we declare first and foremost, Lord, overall, you rule my life. I'm changing kingdoms and allegiances and currencies. And one of the best examples of that is that we now live in a society where the currency of happiness is pretty much the highest valued bill. One person can cheat on their spouse, have sex with another person, and be told by their coworker or neighbor, are you happy? Because if you are, I just want you to be happy. You can do the most dishonorable things in your life. And in the name of happiness, it's licensed. That's a big bill in Canadian currency. The currency of the kingdom is holiness. My wife doesn't love me anymore, therefore, what, you're, sorry, you're justifying dishonorable behavior because of someone else's behavior? It's dishonorable, dishonorable behavior. We back out of covenant. We back out of honor. We back out of commitment using our own currency that has no value in the kingdom. And if there was one thing I would pray for each of us this week is that our thinking, our narrative, as Christine was praying for us, the lies we believe would be exploded and God would redeem our thinking to catch comments, conversations, and value systems this week and go, that's not true, but I've been believing it. I've esteemed relationships that are not worthy of esteem, and I've dishonored relationships that must be honored. This is so difficult. It's so everyday difficult. Kingdom currency. I'll wrap up with one final thought. There's a beautiful message. I think it was preached in June or July at Bethel Church by Pastor Chris Vallotton, and the title of the message, if you look for it, is called The Pathway to Honor. He was raised in a family where there was expectations of honor, but he wasn't raised in a godly setting at all. And he ended up kind of adapting and creating his own code of honor, which had nothing to do with the honor system of the gospel, and had to relearn his currency. And he talks there, and this is the point I want to make, and it works really well with Eli and with Abraham as well, is that there's kind of three different arenas or levels you can work on with honor. There's, first of all, the arena that we see Eli working in, which is an arena related to honor of curses. We live so poorly and so dishonorably with the honor we've been called to show that not only ourselves, but even those who come after us will receive things they don't deserve because of things we got wrong. Then we level up to the next area, call it reap what you sow. For most people in Canada and the States, this is the American dream. You look people in the eye, you give them a firm handshake, they take you at your word, you pay them when you're asked, no more, no less, and you say, well done, soldier. And it's you reap what you sow. Hardworking people make their way forward. And most people reduce the Bible to being that. A well-put-together society is a reap-what-you-sow economy. And I don't mean in the physical, I mean in the spiritual. But that's not at all the gospel. There's a totally other level. 
It's the one that Abraham shows us that results thousands of years later in us praising the name of Jesus and being rescued from our sins, which we don't deserve because someone back then was willing to sacrifice their son, their only son whom they loved because God told them to. That's inheritance. Inheritance, guys, is that you're welcomed into a priesthood and a kingdom where the king is also your father and he owns everything and he gives you access to it all and you didn't work for any of it and you don't deserve any of it. And that's the richness of the kingdom of God for the people of God. And many of us just want to level out a cursing to get to reap what you sow and that's like so far short of what God's called us to and is offering us. Those who honor me, I will honor. Thank you for listening to the Lifetree Church Sermon of the Week. At Lifetree, we are a family all about declaring and displaying Jesus to transform lives and benefit our city. If you'd like to find out more about Lifetree, you can find us online at lifetree.ca.